Yeah, I guess so. Okay. That sounds like an intro. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we uh, actually don't have a um, name for the podcast yet, but um, I'm Jason Harvey, and uh, this is my co-host, the lovely Mrs. Jennifer Harvey. Yeah. I'm Jennifer Harvey, um, married to the Jason Harvey here. <laughs> <laughs> and we just wanted to start something, um, start something that, you know, we find ourselves talking pretty interesting conversations coming from two very different places, different opinions and different uh, insights. So we're starting something that we can share. I don't know if other people come across those same differences yeah yeah i was kind of thinking before we started this podcast well before we actually started recording like you know if you post this on facebook i don't have facebook but you know for all your (laughs) facebook oh yeah friends i got a lot of native friends yeah and (laughs) um so for those of you that don't know that are listening right now miss jennifer harvey what uh reservation do you come from I come from the St. Carlos Apache tribe um, down in St. Carlos. I grew up there, was born, I think I was, yeah, I was born there. Grew up there and I left the reservation, I think, like permanently, like left and never went back in my, in my early 20s, maybe like 24, 25 years old, something like that. And I've been up here on the mountain, the White Mountains, ever since. But that was more like in White River, which is a different reservation, right? Yeah, it's a different Apache reservation. Um, It's just north of San Carlos. They border each other. So there's just a river that separates them. So we're practically neighbors. Um, And officially it's Fort Apache Reservation, but it's the... White Mountain Apache Tribe. Yeah. Yeah. But on the map says Fort Apache Indian Reservation. But yeah. the tribe is White Mountain Apache tribe, which is, I guess, I never really made sense of that. But, but yeah, um, I have a lot of friends from White River. Hello, friends, if you're watching or not watching, listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we live in Sholo because this is really the only place I could uh, find housing um, off the reservation. It's kind of difficult if you're not a part of the tribe to find a home. So this place opened up, and I've been here, and then you came here. <laughs> now we're here together. <laughs> and and also, we should always add that um, my husband, Jason, is not Native. Um, so what are you, Jason? Uh, I'm what they would call an American mutt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just a different mix of ethnicities, and I found very quickly sorry you can probably hear a cat rummaging around in the litter box um and also there's like this noise in the background unfortunately we can't get rid of that because we've got our white noise baby apps going in both rooms so if you hear like something like a fan going on that's what that is sorry but anyway um yeah uh mm, So, yeah, I just found, actually through Ancestry.com, 
did a, a DNA test and actually Jen helped me spit into a vial. Mm -hmm. That was very interesting. I got the video. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so I got the test results back like, let's say maybe a month or two later and uh, found out that, you know, uh, well, I had always been told that we were quote unquote mm -hmm. Cherokee mm -hmm. and that is not <laughs> true whatsoever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, actually English, Scottish, Irish, uh, what else is there? Welsh, um, mostly from the British Isles. So that's what I like to tell people. Um, and then, uh, French from my great grandmother, she was full Cajun French and a little Norwegian and like a smidge Finnish. So yeah, like I said, an American mutt. And what I, like I said, what I found out on Twitter is that, uh, Europeans don't like it when Americans say that they're Europeans, they would rather you prefer you say European descended hmm. because there's like a stark difference between Americans and Europeans, like culturally, so mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. I think every society has something like that, and every culture has something that way. Um, like the um, what do you call them? City natives. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm I'm thinking about um, oh man, it, what do you call them? Like the hillbillies. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's always that group of people that people um, within their own culture or within their own race kind of look down on them and mm -hmm. don't really accept them. And, you know, I mean, it's in everywhere. It's, it's in every society, every culture. Yeah. It's definitely on the, on the reservation. Like there's, a, I guess, how they, I've heard someone call it racism. There's racism even within um, the tribe. Because, like, the new generation doesn't know the language. Um, they don't know the cultural ways. And so, you know, if you don't answer them in Apache, then they kind of say, are you even Apache? Like, are you, are you a white girl? Are you a white boy? You know, kind of mm -hmm. get that thrown at you mm -hmm. for not knowing how to speak Apache. And I mean, I, I understand some, and I can speak a little bit, but I'm not fluent. I if someone spoke to me like full Apache in a, in a conversation, I'd, I'd get lost. Well, I hear your dad speaking to you in Apache and, and you respond back in English. So mm -hmm. there's some level of understanding there. I mean, it's yeah. way deeper than mine. Yeah, but, you know, when my dad talks to me, he's just asking questions, you know, like, like a light conversation, like, are you guys doing okay in Apache? Mm. Um, or what time are you going to leave? What time are you guys thinking of leaving? You know, he'll ask that in Apache. Like those little questions, I understand. Um, so I answer him in English because I, I don't really know how to answer back in Apache. But, and I kind of, I'm afraid to answer anyway because I feel like I'd sound funny. So yeah. I just say, um, we're going to leave probably in an hour or we're doing good. Yeah, and I've found that to be true with a lot of younger natives. Well, like my friends, you know, what they've admitted to me is that they're afraid to speak Apache because they're afraid of being ridiculed, being embarrassed, mm -hmm. 
and you know like i mean spanish is not a native language but i i took like three years of spanish in high school and when we went down to mexico and i was trying to speak spanish to the people down there they got really excited like really excited and you know wanted to talk to me in spanish and actually got happy and mm-hmm. you know it, it just seemed like they were really supportive of you yeah. know us white people trying to <laughs> speak, speak their sp- language yeah mm-hmm. well, that's, that's a good um, response i think and maybe there are some people out there that respond differently but it, just in my experience it's it's not been that way mm-hmm. and the people that i know that are my age that's not been their experience yeah so yeah um i don't know why that is um the older generation or the people that do speak apache and know it um i don't know maybe it's i don't know i really don't know where where that comes from or why they respond that way i just feel i would really like to learn but it's hard to find a teacher someone who will um, take the time to talk with me and i have asked in the past i have you know, ask someone, uh, people to teach me Apache, like, can you teach me? And they just laugh and laugh at me. Like I'm joking. I'm like, I'm not joking, (laughs) but okay. Yeah. Mm, I wonder where that comes from. Like just, uh, cause you would think that the older generation, they would want their kids and they would want, Mm -hmm. you know, not just their own kids, like everybody in the tribe to speak Apache. And from what I know, like from um, the different elders that I've talked to on the res, like there's a there's a stark difference between even like how Apaches and White Rivers speak Apache versus like Apaches in Cedar Creek, um, yeah. Apaches in Sibiquiu, Apaches in San Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, like f- from what I've heard, like people in White Rivers speak like a slang version of apache which isn't i don't know <laughs> like if you could hear those elders talk that i don't know they don't like it <laughs> <laughs> but they you know but at the same time they accept it i guess yeah I, and i kind of think that slang type of dialect it, it evolved because of you know fort apache was not an original, how do I say, like a, a gathering or living place mm-hmm. for Apaches, but it was a military fort, and they brought a lot of these Apaches together. You know, Apaches from Sibiquiu, from Cedar Creek, from San Carlos. So they all got their different ways of talking, and they're coming together, and it just kind of over time forms this little bit of slang. Yeah, maybe they favor more of the uh, white, I don't know, White Mountain Apache style. And it just kind of changes a little bit. And it's been, what, like, how many years since then? A hundred, maybe. Has it been a hundred? But, I mean, it's fairly a a while for dialect to change in a language. Yeah. And, yeah, and I I think that, and I think that's kind of what happened with San Carlos, too. Um, Because that was not an original place where Apaches would, you know, live it's what the military where they put a bunch of different uh tribes together it wasn't just apaches it was 
Chiricahua Apaches. It was, um, you know, different bands from different places. Uh, some were even like, um, what do you call them? Um, Yaki, Yaki mm-hmm. Apaches. Uh, Hopi, Zunis were thrown in with, with the mix, you know, kind of held there. Basically, the military just caught whoever was brown skinned and took them there. Yeah. And that was it, you know. Didn't really care if you belonged to any tribe. They were just rounding up people that, you know, were not called Europeans. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, we uh, probably should have started this off the uh, traditional Navajo way where you actually um, tell everybody your clans because <laughs> so far nobody knows. <laughs> oh, my clans. Well, I, I, um, I know two, um, and that's the basic two that Apaches and Earl's Apaches go by. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's side, I am born for the Dischin clan. My father is Dischin. And then my mother's side, who, you know, the clan carries through the matrial line. Um, our clan is um, Istan Aya, which is like basically mesquite, mesquite coming out of the water. That's kind of what it means. So like mesquite people, I guess. Istan Aya. So that's my clan. And the children that I have that are born through me, that's going to be their clan. Istan Aya. Yeah. And yeah. my mother is Istan Aya and her mother was the same clan and it just follows the mother the mother line. And my father, uh he his clan is Dischin. He got his clan from his mother. So my paternal grandmother, her clan was Dischin. What does that actually mean? Dischin <laughs> <laughs> Dischin uh, what I kinda understand it is as kinda like the angry, mean mean people <laughs> yeah i had talked to mario he's um a co-worker of mine he's a navo guy from uh, chen Li. i told him what your dad's clan uh was and he was like oh warrior face people and i was like oh okay yeah yeah it's something like that like just mean angry mean angry people yeah so, so yeah yeah i was a little <laughs> i was a little intimidated when when you told me that i was like no <laughs> dad's gonna kill me (laughs) yeah well that's our clans but i kind of feel like that doesn't really i don't know yeah are we like that there's (laughs) well there's probably a story behind there like how that specific band of apaches got that name Mm -hmm. like uh my stepfather he was uh his mother's clan was flying the suit people and then um his father's clan well, he was he was halfway Mountain Apache. His mom was from Sibiqui. Uh, she was a Reed, and then uh, his dad was from Hopi Land, uh, from Second Mesa. So his clan was a Parrot Clan, and mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised when he told me that. I was like, Parrots? There's no mm-hmm. parrots in Arizona. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So we should kind of clarify because people are, you know, they know you're a white guy. And yeah. how is that possible that you have a native relative? Oh, well, my mother fell in love with his smooth ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I was born in Texas, was born in Dallas. And then, um, you know, things didn't work out between 
my biological father and my mother. So we moved down to Houston and I lived there for many, many years until, um, until I was a freshman in high school. I finished my freshman year out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but before that, one of my mother's friends, um, he told her about, um, this place, about, um, the Fort Apache reservation and said, there's a reservation out there, out in Arizona. It's one of the most beautiful places that he was, that he had ever been to in the United States. And he said that there, there is a lake sitting on top of a mountain and it is just pristine and gorgeous. And he said, you guys got to go out there. Mm. And, uh, what he was describing was actually Holly Lake. Mm. And, uh, yeah. that, that's like one of the pla- first places that we hit up mm-hmm. when we came out here. I think it was, I think it was 12, about to turn 13. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah. And then I mm-hmm. think the second time around we came out of here, that's when my mother met my, mm-hmm. my soon to be stepfather. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. And like, um what Jen was saying about her clans, like I had to do a lot of research on, uh, ancestry to find out what, um, well, I wasn't really even looking for clans. It was just researching. And then I noticed Stuart, Stuart popped up in my, my mother's lineage and I knew that was Scottish. And then I did a bunch more research and found out that the Scots actually have clans some of them are name-based clans. Like, I think the clan of Burns is an actual physical place in Scotland where the people get their name from, um, their their last name from. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's others that are like the son of, which you get Mac, Mac Leod, Mac Arthur, Mac Donald. You mm-hmm. get all the Macs from, yeah. from the son of. Um, and those, those ancestors are usually, um, like well-known or like Kings or Knights or something, Mm -hmm. um, or Lords. And, um, so Stuart's was like a position in Scotland and, uh, and so they were like the second in line to become King. So on my mother's side, she's the Royal lineage of Stuart's. Whereas, like, <laughs> on my father's side is the Stuarts of Appen. So we're just a, like a smidge Whoa. tiny bit inbred. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Stuarts on both sides. Yeah. But, but also there's um, the Armstrongs on my father's side. And then on my mother's side, there's Clan Patterson and mm-hmm. um, Clan McEwen. Yeah. Yeah. So which clan do you um, mostly identify with? I think uh, Clan Stewart because mm-hmm. that was my great, great grandmother. She was like the last kind of one, last person in my family to hold a Scottish surname. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I take mostly from, from her side, which is on my mother's side. Yeah. So kind of kind of like Apaches following the mother yeah uh, matrial line yeah yeah and then you know like the the flannel that I wear it's the gray Stuart tartan 
and it's not a flannel or it's not a tartan pattern that a lot of people in the Stuart clan wear. They wear like the more traditional uh, Royal Stuart pattern or black Stuart. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just like it because gray is my favorite color. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it works. It looks good on you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so I also did an ancestry thing. Mm -hmm. um, me being Native American was kind of hard, um, you know, following some people in, in my in my family history. I had a lot of um, dead ends just due to there not being any information, any records, because, you know, like we were talking about when the natives were getting round up to these forts, um, it took them a while to start recording people, you know, their births and stuff like that. Uh, so my my paternal grandmother, uh, she was born February 23rd, 1923. But um, she always told me that's just what they think. That's mm. just what they think of when I was born. So, you know, it's just an estimate. She could have been older. She could have been born in the spring or winter. But that's just what they gave her. Yeah. And that's what her record was. Um and, um, you know, before her, I was able to track her father and her mother, but her mother's after that, it, it just, there's just a dead end. There's just no public record. So, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe I might have to go to the tribe for those kinds of records if they have it, the yeah. enrollment office. Um, I'm not sure if they would, but, but a lot of the elders in, in my family are gone now. You know, the people that would have known, um, they're, they're not alive anymore. And just kind of makes me sad. But, but I was able to um, track down William Henry Stevens. Mm -hmm. he, was a, he was a sergeant, Sergeant George Henry Stevens, who came from Massachusetts. And his family immigrated from England. Mm -hmm. So they were, they came overseas, um, they were in Massachusetts, um, his father met his, his mother, and then he was born in Massachusetts, and then he started, he was in the military, and the military sent him out this way, toward the west. And then he found uh, an Apache wife, um, her name is written in, in Apache, I, I don't, I can't say it, I don't really know how to pronounce it. But he meets her, he marries her, and she is, is um, you know, she's recorded as being White Mountain Apache. So she was um, part of the White Mountain Apache tribe. They had children. They named one of their sons George Stevens again. And then that son married another Apache woman, and then they had, a, they had more kids. Uh, they had kids, and one, uh, he also named another son George Stevens. <laughs> So it just kind of keeps going down the name George Stevens. And this George Stevens, the third one, is my great-grandfather. Uh, so he met uh, a Native woman, uh, an Apache from San Carlos. Her name was Gertrude, and they got married. So there's George and Gertrude Stevens, and the, they had a total of, I believe it was eight, seven or eight children together. 
and one of them is my grandmother, Madeline Stevens. And I, we used to call her Grandma Maddie. But um, so here comes Madly, Madeline Stevens. And then, you know, she gets married and has her own children. And then my mom's born, Bernadette, Bernadette Brooks at that time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then there's me and my siblings. So, like, I was, it was pretty cool to, to see the, the line, the family line, and then come to find, you know, there's a white man in our family. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but, and my family has always ru- said rumors about it, like he's an Irish man. Uh, but he, what I found out is he was a rancher. Yeah. Um, and he came, his family, his family came from England. So I'm not really sure what, um, you know, what he was if he was Irish or not, I didn't go that far, but could have been, um, like from what I found, like some, well, maybe we don't, I mean, short of a, like a genetic test, we really don't know. Yeah. But he could have immigrated from Ireland to England or like maybe his previous generations immigrated to England from Ireland and then immigrated to the United States because Stevens is, it is an Irish name. Like, I found it in my lineage. And when I found that, I was like, oh, man, we might be cousins. <laughs> oh, it still could be possible, you know, because I didn't get that far. Yeah. Um, Stevens, yeah. Um, and who knows? <laughs> yeah. And that's, um, and you also found, well, like, and so George Stevens married your, like, your great, great, great great grandma from she was from Sibiq or was she's she from uh she was white mountain apache white mountain apache it didn't say like where she was actually no, from not specifically but if she was from Sibiq, that's still white mountain apache yeah and i remember you saying that tuline your ancestor to tum tunli is that how you say it tuline oh oh yeah in apache it's it's tunli yeah yeah meaning um to elite like at the river or by the river by the water you know not not necessarily a river but a lake or some type of water source you know yeah. by the water and they were from civic U, right uh yes um i found that out through emma watt's book um what was don't, that? don't let the sun step over you mm. that was written it wasn't written by her it was written by uh keith basso yeah i've and, read his yeah. book one of his books yeah and he interviewed her um and she tells her like wow just a lot of details and a lot of stories but she ended up mentioning my family in there mm-hmm. and it's the tuline them um, so that's my you know george stevens um he it's the second george stevens because mm-hmm. there's the first george stevens who's the white man mm-hmm. and then they have a son George Stevens, one of the sons, he's he marries a woman from Civic Q. Mm-hmm. And her name was um, Emma. I think it's Emma. Mm. Emma Tuline? Yeah. Was Emma, that it? Emma Tuline. Okay. And her sister is Eva. Eva Tuline. The one that the book was written about. So her sister's Emma, which is my great great grandmother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that and her maiden name is Tuline because um, when they were recording everyone, her father, his, he had an Apache name. 
Tun Li. So when they were documenting families, you know, there was no surnames. Apaches didn't have surnames. Mm -hmm. So they just documented the children like, okay, you're Eva Tulin, you're Emma Tulin. And that's how uh, the non-natives pronounce the name Tulin, you know, instead of Tun Li, how Apaches usually say it. Yeah. And initially, just a little factoid, initially we wanted, I think it was first we wanted maybe Dakota to have the middle name Tulin. If it was, if Dakota was going to be a girl. But he turned out to be a boy. So, <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of pushing for still the middle name, but he thought it might sound too girly. So, yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had thought about Taryn, but Taryn Tulane just got double T's. It's, <laughs> I mean, I guess it kind of rolls off the tongue, Taryn Tulane. Yeah, but at the time, we just, <laughs> <laughs> it just, um, I think I proposed her her middle name Jasmine. Yeah. Like I wanted her to be Jasmine, Jasmine, Jasmine Taryn. But then you really wanted Taryn yeah, as her name. I really so did. I figured, you know what? I think I should give him one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the other two, you know, we were discussing, and we always went with my idea. You always agreed with me. Yeah. So I thought this time I'll agree with him. Well, actually, I did suggest Jessica based off of your brother's name. Yeah, well, her name was supposed to be middle a middle name, mm-hmm. but you suggested it to be her first name, which, yeah. Yeah. And then, well, like with Taryn, um, I could, well, I, I wanted it to have um, like a special significance. And initially I had <laughs> suggested Thunder, and I think you said said no, no, definitely, no. definitely not. <laughs> it's like dang it, we're not naming our kid Thunder. So, <laughs> so I kind of sneaky was looking around for other names that were based off of Thunder, and Taryn <laughs> came up. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, Taryn is a short form for Taranis, who is the Celtic god of thunder. So, yeah. so yeah, just, I don't know. I th- and I think it fits her. She's just so lively and happy and. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's always smiling and always happy. She has a really, really upbeat, you know, uh, kind of attitude and character to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, um, it was just interesting, like talking to other Apaches about, the formation of the reservations and how like white mountain apache or fort apache apaches were kind of segregated from san carlos apaches but before that it would have just all been like there's really no i mean i guess now there are there is the white mountain apache tribe there is the san carlos apache tribe but you know, like 200 years ago, it would have just, like, everybody would have been, like, living in their own little separate villages, and nobody really knew that, oh, well, I'm San Carlos Apache because I live in this region. No, it was, like you said, clan, clan-based relations. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, I think everyone just shared the land. Um, people knew where to go to gather certain food items, um, went to hunt the season of hunting 
And <clears throat> oh my gosh, I'm talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, they knew the land and they just kind of, we just knew we were, you know, I don't know if we even called ourselves the, the name Apache. Yeah. I think people just identified with their clans and spoke the same language. Um, it, it was just, I believe it was way different than today because today we've got the labels now of Apache, um, Navajo, yeah. you know, but I don't think we first identified ourselves like that. Yeah. And even um, talking to the Apache language teacher at Cradle Board Elementary School, he used to work there. I don't anymore. I work at McNary um, Elementary School. But um, the Apache language teacher, um, he said, like, the Navajos call them, like, the southern people. And they, and the Apaches call, like, I guess, quote, unquote, traditionally, they call Navajos the northern people. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, geographically, it makes sense. Like, Navajos are to the north, Apaches mm-hmm. are to the south. But he said that they could still, like... You know, some words were different between Navos and Apaches, mm-hmm. but they could still kind of work around and... You can still understand each other. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are some words that are similar, very similar. Um, and then there's just a few, like, adjective words that are a bit different. And then the, the sentence structure, like, yeah, I don't know, I guess how they call certain towns and homes homes or hospital you know just kind of has a form to it mm-hmm. that apaches don't they don't uh say it like that in their language in our language but but yeah i mean definitely my dad can talk to people you know out in navajo land and in apache and they respond they get they understand they they have fun with it you know they joke mm-hmm. around and <laughs> yeah. they have fun teasing each other and apaches call navajos Utaha. That's what we call them in Apache, hmm. which basically means something like that. You know, uh, people in the north, you like it kind of has a directional uh, word in there. Yeah. The north, you So like they live up there. Yeah. Yeah. That um, kind of reminds me of uh, like when I was doing all my research there, like there was a um like Ireland and Scotland they're mm-hmm. pretty close together especially in the north mm-hmm. and the whole region was called Scotia but in Scotland they were considered lesser Scotia so and that's because the Irish uh, a group of Irish um they were a tribe called the Scots and they came over and inhabited a kingdom called Dal Riat and well, when the Vikings invaded uh, Pictland, they destroyed a lot of the Pictish kingdoms in northern Scotland, mm-hmm. what we call northern Scotland today. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like the Pict society had collapsed, and then the Scots moved in, and mm-hmm. that they gained cultural dominance. So it doesn't seem like... Like, they're, they're probably very similar mm-hmm. genetically and probably linguistically. But for whatever reason, like, the Scots Gaelic language and customs just took over. And, mm. and I, I, like, some people think that the, the Scots had slaughtered all the remaining picks. But I don't, I don't think that. 
I think the male Scots probably intermarried with the female pigs and they just kind of all integrated into one society that we now know of as Scotland today. Mm, So it, it like, I guess basically cousins like Irish Scots and, and the pigs pretty, very, very similar, but yeah. Yeah. That seems like a logical explanation rather than, they just disappeared. Where yeah. did these people go? It could have been aliens. It could have been, you know, like like that stuff on TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, like what, the documentary that you were watching a couple of days ago about um, the Anasazi mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. them finding like cannibal kind of, I don't know, like I don't know if the Anasazi actually did cannibal practices amongst themselves or maybe it was an outside tribe, but... I never heard that before. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it was pretty interesting. But they didn't say that the Anasazi people were doing this. Mm-hmm. They're they're just saying that there is evidence of cannibalism there at, um, what's that site? Chaco Canyon. Yeah, Chaco Canyon. Yeah. And, that, and Chaco Canyon is a huge, huge site with um, thousands of people that live there. Um, but they did find evidence of cannibalism, um, and they, you know, they go through in detail what this evidence is down to the cooking pots, um, you know, bone, human bone, and human flesh leave a residue um, on top of the boiling water, mm-hmm. and they tested these pots, and it's positive for um, human tissues. So, and then. They uh, looked at this man was holding a skull, mm-hmm. um, a partial skull of looked like a kid, a child, and there is uh, charring on the outside of the skull, mm-hmm. but it's not burnt all the way through. Yeah, and 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 the way they, the and the way the skull was cracked or you know, um, it it was damaged in a way that it could have been opened up. For you know the tissues inside to be consumed. So yeah. I mean, they showed the evidence of that. Uh, a lot of it's forensic evidence, and they presented this evidence to the uh, I think it was a Zuni tribe, <laughs> a Zuni um, person, and he was very upset. He said this upsets the tribe. You know, no, I don't. That's not. I don't think that's what happened. You know, he was very. Uh, he, he didn't want to take that information in and i mean I, you kind of think that yeah it, that would be their response um especially if, you know these native people have a lot of pride and with their nation with their you know how they identify their their with their tribe and yeah you know when you if you were to say apaches were cannibals back then i'm like whoa like what <laughs> <laughs> it would hit me different. It would. It would be hard to swallow. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, well, like there was, um, like the bog bodies in um, in Europe, mm-hmm. where they think, like they kind of think. Well, initially they thought that these people were just being sacrificed mm-hmm. willy nilly, like mm-hmm. in cold blood. But now there's like an emerging theory that maybe these people were actually really bad people mm. and um, they were found kind of like in a pinned kind of 
Mm, in a penned, bound up kind of way. Oh, wow. So they think that maybe the process prevented those people. The reason why they were put in the bog mm -hmm. was to keep their soul locked in their body. Mm, oh, I see. So yeah. that their body couldn't reincarnate into another form and then continue on the, you know, the yeah. pain and destruction and killing and whatnot. Yeah, that, that has like, that's kind of like an evil intuition there mm -hmm. when you're you not just kill someone, but you're, you're keeping them from moving on. You're keeping them from uh, some type of spiritual peace afterwards, you know? Yeah. Like to me, that's really, that's wow. Yeah. <laughs> But for them, those people, they probably thought like, oh, no, like we probably really got to, you know, keep this person mm -hmm. um, subdued or else they'll come back and it'll be even worse. Mm. Yeah, there's, mm. I think there's a lot of explanations, but just the fact that something like that was done. Yeah. It's just disturbing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like in like the cannibal stuff mm -hmm. in Chaco Canyon, like, you know, I mean, it's probably not as cut and dry as... You know, the Zuni, or I mean, sorry, not Zuni, the Anazazi people <laughs> were doing this to themselves. Maybe it was an outside tribe doing this to them. Yeah, and then uh, what they also discuss in the, in the video or in the show is that uh, the amount of bodies they found that were consumed or, you know, possibly consumed was not enough to feed the people like an everyday type of thing. Mm -hmm. So they know that this uh, this cannibalism event type of thing only took place on certain times. I don't know. You know, it's not all the time. So they, they think it was um, the people from down south, the tribes from down south. They didn't really name a specific tribe mm -hmm. but those tribes that were in the mexico area at that time um they found evidence of their presence there at chaco canyon by a ball court being made uh certain pillars that were uh standing that um resemble the architecture from down in the mexico area it's always the Aztecs, man they're just <laughs> Yeah, somebody. <laughs> but, you know, the they're known for those sacrifices and yeah. possibly consuming uh, people, too. And they did find evidence of a skull that had, um, what do you call their teeth, were, were filed. Mm -hmm. So they found um, that evidence there at Chaco Canyon. So that proves that those people were there. Um, their presence was there. Yeah, did it show the uh, file pattern on their on their teeth? Mm -hmm. Like, was it straight across? No, it's kind of filed down like like sharp, like oh, fangs. Oh, like fangs. Mm -hmm. Okay, because like, I mean, and they have found, I guess, in Norway, maybe Sweden. Sorry, don't don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they found file marks uh, horizontal, right? Mm -hmm. Horizontally across the teeth. So I don't like those marks, and in the Northmen, you kind of see that with the Valkyrie. Yeah. When she's taking, um, what's his name, Amleth. She's yeah. taking his soul to Val. Mm -hmm. um, she has those file marks on her on her teeth. They're not braces. Yeah, they like, kind of look like that one when I first saw them. Like, wow, she's wearing braces. But you know, later on, 
yeah. it was that the file marks which is pretty interesting yeah yeah it was really interesting that movie was really interesting like the depth that robert eggers was able to go into mm-hmm. and just incorporate like all those finer details of like archaeological finds it, within the movie itself the northman um this is really cool mm-hmm. do they know why they filed their teeth like that no 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 oh, okay. a lot of it's just kind of postulating and guesswork yeah but i haven't read anything like like why they did that i don't yeah. know maybe they had like a specific status in society and that was like a marker for them or maybe that was just to show like how badass you were like i'm gonna file my teeth today or you get so many kills and you get your teeth filed yeah like one one file across the tooth equals (laughs) one kill yeah Yeah. i guess but but it's interesting that they found uh, that evidence of those peoples there at chaco canyon so they know their influence was there and they kind of assume that's why uh cannibalism was um done there you know it could have been from them and and the Anasazi were seen are seen as a people a very peaceful people. They weren't warlike, you know. They were not causing trouble or fighting other tribes all the time. They're very peaceful people. So you know, if you got this group of peaceful people, and then you've got the other people from the south though, who are not so peaceful, and they come across these peaceful people, yeah, there's bound to be some bullying going on, or you know, like hey. How about you give me some, you give us this, um, you know, I don't know, sheep or whatever you're raising. And then let's, let's do a trade. But then, you know, it starts to get uneven over time. Yeah. Uh, you're not producing enough. So let's sacrifice uh, 20. Let's get five kids and 15 adults. Yeah. And let's, we're going to sacrifice. And this is what happens when you don't meet quota type of thing, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all throughout history is like one group that, I don't know, for whatever reason, has a stronger arm, mm-hmm. uh, finds a, a, a more peaceful, egalitarian society, and they yeah. try to impose their will on those people. And I, I remember you saying like something to the effect of, like, you kind of thought that maybe Apaches were doing that to the Anasazis or maybe drove them out of the area, but maybe it was actually uh, these other people. Yeah, um, there was definitely... A lot of trading. I mean, the Apache people from that time definitely knew about the Anasazi and the Tohono O'odham. You know, those people, the Aztecs, the, mm-hmm. the Mexicans. They they knew. They all knew each other. The tribes in the West, the California area. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is evidence of this big trading system that was in place. And one of the central areas of trade is uh, the Phoenix area mm-hmm. where, with the, the ancient peoples that live there. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think they were the Salado, the Salado people. So they had a big trading market. Like, there's evidence of that, pottery. There's um, shells. You know, there's no shells here in Arizona. So these shells came from somewhere, and, mm-hmm. they, and it's possible they came from the tribes in the West. So oh, yeah. They were trading from people, you know, hundreds of miles away. There was a trading system in place, and I'm pretty sure that these people uh, from the south um, were were coming up here and 
trading, but also looking to see who they can bully around. Oh, yeah. Like my grandpa had said um, that they actually, they did have like a trade system that Apaches would run to, like they would run on foot to other mm-hmm. other tribes. And he didn't fully, I don't think he fully understood it at the time mm-hmm. of how Apaches could necessarily do this for a long extended period of time. Um, but now, but there is a tribe still in existence today in um, the Copper Canyons of Mexico, the Tarahumara, that can do this. They run for like hundreds of miles, either barefoot or wearing sandals, and they drink like like a little mixture filled with like chia seeds and other kind of stuff, and that gives them the fuel that they need to be able to make these long journeys on foot. So probably likely that Apaches had something very similar to that, like a Mm -hmm. running kind of culture. And I, you know, like going off of what he said, like they probably did have that um, intertribal trade where they were running out to the coast or maybe they were meeting up with somebody, you know, halfway and trading shells for, you know, whatever the Apaches had, blue stone or, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, out in the West area, California area, that there was probably um, another trade market present there, mm-hmm. just as big as the one that existed in the Phoenix area. You know, you just had to get there and bring your goods and then trade them all, trade and get what you need. Yeah, I believe that it was like that back then. I think the lot of the way things the way people um, see the past today with just the tiny amount of information you kind of see the natives as you know uh, very you know can't do things for themselves or barely scraping by by hunting game and you know kind of seeing them as a struggling people but I think back then it was not like that I think they were a everyone was thriving or in a sense you know where was providing for their families they weren't really struggling um, until warfare came yeah but I think on their own when peaceful times there was water in the Phoenix area Mm -hmm. plenty of water to grow you know huge fields of crops and there's evidence of these water channels and and um, the Salado people um you know have they had agriculture there they did pot work you know it was a lot of um they had technology that's what i'm saying that i think a lot of people don't recognize and i think because of that technology it kind of shows that these people were not scraping by or you know just running around not knowing what to do i think they do this was their life yeah you know we go to the mountains we hunt for elk we bring it back here. Um, then we go down to the San Carlos area. We we pick the, the acorn. You know, when that's ripe, yeah. gather all that for, you know, the seasons. And it's going to carry us through. Uh, along the way, there's plants that you can eat, wild plants. There's tea you can pick. There's water holes you can go to. You know, just there's a little tiny game all around. There's food everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, like I went to 
was it like some kind of indigenous food day or something at the farm in uh, Canyon Day? Yeah, on the Fort those Apache. are fun to go to. Yeah, it was on the it's on the Fort Apache Reservation, just south of White River. And um, I remember this lady; she was telling me that there's this plant that looks cloudy, and she said Apaches would go out and pick, like, kind of just grab the plant and just kind of brush the seeds off with their bare hands mm. and that's how they would gather the seeds in their dress and then they would take that to the grindstones that they had and they would grind that up into flour and that's what they would use for their own like i don't know tortillas or whatever they were making oh okay but it wasn't corn it was it was like a like a wild grain yeah yeah wow that's cool yeah that'd be cool to taste <laughs> yeah yeah i remember what was it uh an episode of <laughs> i'm a big fan of cody lundine mm -hmm. yes you are <laughs> <laughs> but um he uh he there was this episode of dual survival on the show that he was on where he was showing his partner um like how to gather just not like meat but just stationary food sources mm -hmm. and he was picking mesquite beans off the tree or mm -hmm. like i think he also found some on the ground mm -hmm. and he cracked them open he started mashing up the beans poured some water over it and like formed it into like a little cake he's like here you go have a snack eat it and the guy was like wow this tastes great he was <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> yeah so you don't have to kill everything out here that you come across <laughs> yeah yeah this mm. is an easy food source I think Apaches also had that kind mm -hmm. of knowledge. Yeah, I believe they did. And um, sad to say, a lot of that is lost. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's how they lived. And it was life. It was normal. You know, it was this is how we live. This is where we get food. And it's just right there out, out the front door. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, you you're reading the book Geronimo, mm -hmm. um, the man, the myth, the legend, right? Yeah. And he talked about having to travel a great distance just to hunt buffalo, probably out in the prairie, I'm thinking. Yeah, they did hunt buffalo. He does talk about that. And um, jaguars. Mm, okay. I think it was jaguars. Wow. They, they killed, too. They were, they were present. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty cool accounts that Geronimo talks about. Um, and one of the interesting things, too, is there's a, there was a man, um, he was non-native, but he happened to come across an Apache camp. And, you know, he's sitting there documenting his, his time with the Apache people. And then he, he drew a drawing of what the camp looked like. And, you know, it was a bunch of teepees. Mm -hmm. It was like huge teepees. You see like one giant teepee and then like just somewhat smaller ones right around it kind of like grouping all around it and then then there'll be another group like there'll be another big teepee next to them with the little ones beside it and then in the middle it, it kind of looked like a, a longhouse is that what you call it where it was it was a triangular uh form but it was long like extended yeah i think that would be a longhouse something like that yeah there was something like that in the middle of all these uh teepees that were up and he said this was the camp that he um, was at, and it was an Apache people. 
Mm-hmm. So I and he told he says in the book this man uh, his his documentation is that Apaches lived in teepees prior to the uh, the wars that were happening, like the Mexican War and and when um, um, when colonialism started happening, mm-hmm. you know when the military started coming and rounding up people. So the traditional housing is a teepee. Yeah, instead of a wiki up. Yeah, the wiki up um, is not an original ancestral housing, I guess, for us. Mm. Um, the wiki up came about because Apache people were on the move all the time. They were being hunted by the Mexicans and by the uh, the government. So they need to move, you know, quick, fast, and they were... You can't be put setting up a teepee, taking it down and going. That kind of took too much time. So, you know, and I was also thinking about this, like wiki ups. If you're like in a thick, I mean, wooded area or even like amongst junipers, they kind of have their own camouflage. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a teepee, you know, bleach white buckskin, you're going to be able to see that mm-hmm. from a long distance away. Yeah. Whereas... A wiki up, like a little more harder to find. Yeah. So this, uh, I don't know. That just popped into my mind. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. thought of it like that, but I'm pretty sure that was a part of them uh, designing this, so that you know it, it's it's not hard <laughs> to set up a wiki up. Yeah. Um, just gather some branches, weave it all together, and then you got a you got a home. You know, just throw your um, blanket buckskins or whatever to um protect from the rain and snow but basically you got a house right there and then if you need to go you just abandon it you just go and you build yourself another one at the next spot you go to so wiki ups were it happened due to all the wars that were happening and the patch people being slaughtered and hunted and and they had to move all the time so you know, that was a, uh, a change, a cultural change, I guess you could say. So now today, when uh, they do the traditional dances, uh, they build wiki-ups now. It's become a normal thing now. Yeah, they do build the wiki-up, but I notice, like, in the, in the middle, like, at the, like, on the last day, they, well, they, they still have it up, though, during the sunrise dance, they have these four really long poles and it kind of forms a teepee shape mm-hmm. but they don't have the buckskin around it yeah um, but they have their massage um, and painting kind of ceremony within you know the invisible teepee I, I don't know if that's really right to say but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, that's interesting yeah yeah, well, you know, for our audience, I think it's important that they know that, yes, I am St. Carlos Apache, but I know zero about our tradition. You know, I don't I don't really know. I don't, I don't know anything. Um, I just know we do sunrise dances, yeah, and it's when the young women get their menstrual. It's to celebrate her time becoming a woman. But as, but the deeper meanings behind that, the teachings behind that, the songs, um, all that is unknown to me. And 
I have attended one ceremony, um, one sunrise dance, and it was during the, um, what do you call it, when they bring the food into the camp? Um, mm. What's that called? Uh, Potluck, right? <laughs> no. It's like the common term, but... Uh, yeah. Um, food giveaway or... Something like that, um, yeah. See, I don't even know the term. Food exchange. Food exchange, that's what it is. Yeah. So one camp brings food to the other camp, and, and the camp um, I was in was a friend. She was becoming a godmother, so it was the girls' family that came over. They danced over singing, uh, carrying food in their hands, and they brought it to um, my friend's camp, set it on the table, and then they said a little prayer. After that, the medicine men came, said a prayer. And I remember while this prayer was happening, I kind of stopped, and I I just just took a like a, what do you call it, took a step back and I looked at everything. I looked at everyone, all the people there, and the children, the kids, the families, everyone coming together. And and there are two families here that are not related to each other, but they're so respectful, so kind, and so loving, and they're laughing with each other, they're joking with each other, they're they're dancing with with each other because after this prayer and everyone got food, you know, the, the singers got in the middle and they started singing songs and then people started just linking arms and, and dancing back and forth around them. And it's not something that, you, have, you know, no one got up and said, hey, everybody grab a partner, <laughs> go out and dance. No one said that. That had not, you didn't need to say that. Yeah. They just got up and started doing it. Oh, and yeah. Enjoying it. Everyone's laughing. They're dancing and having so much fun and I remember just standing there like wow there is nothing evil about this this mm. there's nothing negative you I mean I'm looking I, I can't find anything negative or evil you know because um Christians on the reservation well they preach the message that you know these dances are demonic yeah. but when I looked and I was standing in that environment I didn't feel like I was in a place where I was being threatened or where I was scared. They're going to stick you in a basket and roast you alive. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like that. No, I didn't feel nothing. I mean, I just felt the warmth. I think that's what I mainly can describe my, my time when I was in looking at all of this, the warmth of the people, just the kindness, the love, the, the connection that they have and just enjoying themselves. It was just sunshine. And, and I stood there and I, and tears start coming down my eyes because mm-hmm. all these years I had been told to believe something that was so very wrong. It mm-hmm. was not like that. That was not my experience. And, you know, from that day on, my view has changed toward, toward, you know, the traditional customs what they do um and you were raised christian right i I don't know if we discussed that earlier i don't think so yeah i was i was raised very christian um and not that wasn't a bad thing i mean it did teach me a lot of values and discipline um humility integrity um responsibility i mean that they have teachings in there too that are um family generated family values you know and um so I 
but also um, in the church world on reservations. This is just on reservations. So if someone is listening to this that is off the reservation, you know, it's a little bit different church uh, Christians on reservations. There's kind of like this little war that's, that, that is present with Christianity and um, people who are traditional. They um, kind of have this, I don't know, how would you call it, conflict with each other oh, that yeah. you're wrong. Oh, yeah. And the other person says, no, you're wrong. Like, yeah. there's that opposition there. And there, there are some people, though, who are not like that. But I think the majority... Is is that worldview there on the reservation, and and that, and that's what I grew up in. I grew up believing that these things were not good, and I shouldn't be a part of it. You should never be in a, a part of a sunrise dance. Don't even buy them food. Don't even support them. You know, like mm-hmm. all of that. Like wow, okay. And I was just, I'm just believing it. I'm just taking it in. I'm just a young, a teenager and a, a young adult. Just like okay, okay. It's branded in me. You know, not do this, not do that. But one day, <laughs> one day, my friend from my coworker, she was my coworker, such a lovely lady. She's, you know, she's so easy to connect to. Oh, yeah. Um, Ida, she invited me to the sunrise dance. She was becoming a godmother. And, and, and one of my other coworkers, who was a white lady, um, Amanda, she said, hey, I'm going to go to the food exchange today. Did you want to go with me? And it was during our lunch break. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm yeah. I'm going to go see this. For I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was my experience. Like, yeah. And from that day on, it changed me. I, I've changed. I've changed more even after that. But I think that was a day of great change. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, well, <laughs> so going back to my stepfather, he mm-hmm. had introduced me. Because his co-worker, he worked at Fort Apache Timber Company, mm-hmm. which is the tribal logging company. And um, and uh, he worked with a medicine man. And uh, he had told the Sylvester about um, him wanting to marry my mother. And he told him about me. And so the next summer that we went out there, um, I actually... I don't know, like we went up to a sunrise dance. My stepfather was like, you guys want to go? And we were like, yeah, let's go. So we drove up there. We actually kind of parked next to Sylvester. And I walked up to him and and uh, he just started talking to me. And uh, he was like, do you know anything about this? And I said, no, not really. And But for me, coming, you know, just being a Texas boy, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of had... Uh, just open eyes like I approached it with open eyes and um, he was able to take me by the hand and really really took me under his wing and so what I have like I've heard what you know res Christians say about the traditional way and that has never been my experience out of all the sunrise dances that I've been to it's never, or not just sunrise dances, there's other dances that I've been to that has not been the experience. It's always been, you know, one of like healing and coming together and community and, you know, just coming together for a specific purpose and mm-hmm. praying for this girl that's becoming a woman or praying for this person that needs healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, 
that that's always been my experience and i'm not saying that i'm a i'm a professional in the traditional ways i was barely scratching <laughs> yeah the minuteness <laughs> of the scratchiness <laughs> of the traditional way but you know from what i found it was just it was really beautiful so mm, when you told yeah. me when you told me you had that experience it's like oh yes she finally she's <laughs> kind of seeing what i'm seeing yeah. yeah and i had to see it for myself it's one of those things you just gotta experience for yourself mm-hmm. you just gotta go out there and do it and i had a lot of fear mm-hmm. because i was afraid who's gonna see me there oh yeah and, and then talk you know there's gonna be talk gossip now if oh, yeah. I get caught or if I not get caught, but I mean, if someone sees me and, and I have a sort of a reputation on the White Mountain Apache uh, reservation as a gospel singer, because I sing gospel songs. I have been for um, many years. I've got gospel CDs recorded. Many people listen to them. There's a radio station on the, um, on the res called K&B and they play my music. I know the DJs, you know, a lot of people know me as a gospel singer, you know, Jennifer, my maiden name was Miller, like Jennifer Miller, Sister Jennifer Miller, you know, come sing some songs, come encourage us, you know, um, if I attended a church somewhere, they would call me up. If I go to Walmart, Sister Jen, how oh, are yeah. you doing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I go out in the public and there's natives around, Sister Jen, hi, I haven't seen you in a long time. Uh, pray for me, my son, or whatever, you know. I have a reputation. Yeah. And, you know, for someone like me who has that reputation, it took it took a lot of courage to come out of my fear mm-hmm. and to, to experience what I experienced. But after having that experience there that day, I left with tears in my eyes and a big plate of food on my lap. <laughs> I just, I'm very thankful for that experience for kind of you know just kind of showing you that man what you thought all those years is wrong oh yeah and that's like a eye-opener a clarity and it's it was just for me i think that day to experience that and i no longer have the fear like all that just took away my fears like you know what no it's not i don't think it is demonic i don't i didn't see anything like that that day I saw people uh, coming to support this girl, her family, but not just her family. There's another family here. But it's not just the immediate families. It's everybody. It's the cousins. It's the aunts, uncles on both sides. There was a lot of people on both sides of, you know, the camps all coming together for this girl, um, for her to have the ceremony, for her to celebrate her, to support her, to, you know, this family showing her that hey we're here to support you we're your family too type of thing you know just that language um that's not spoken in words it's done in deeds it's done um like that just showing love and and that's what i felt i feel like that's where all the warmth and the sunshine was that was all happening and the songs you know i don't know what they're singing about but just the environment it was producing was was pretty awesome Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that, um, like what you said, like everybody just kind of, they just do. There's no, like, yeah, we're going to promenade now. <laughs> Grab your partner yeah. and dozy doe. There's, yeah. there's none of that. Everybody, uh-huh. you just do 
Mm-hmm. That's when I noticed it's like it's not really about what you say, and I think that's more relegated to like the medicine men mm-hmm. when they when they speak, when mm-hmm. they're talking, or mm-hmm. when they're singing. Yeah, um, they know those words, but everybody else just does, and they just come together. Yeah, and so I. I like that aspect about it. It's just about the doing mm-hmm. instead of the talking. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Wow, we're over an hour. I know. We should probably uh, maybe wrap this up. Yeah, and I think for the next episode, what I wanted to bring up was um, the um, the ancestral connectedness of this experience I had and oh, yeah. just kind of how that started to open me up in ways and probably start there our next pod our next um episode but yeah there's more to tell on jen's side okay (laughs) and then probably on your side too yeah there's some more experiences you have oh yeah to share but it's pretty interesting i mean jason and i come you know we've had a lot of these conversations together and you know, there's not one side saying, hey, you know, that that's wrong. You, you shouldn't be doing that. There's no judgment like that. It's just like, well, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, just kind of open-minded with each other and accepting each other. And Jason is not Native, but he's spent a lot of time with uh, tribal members, uh, medicine men, like he mentioned. He spent a lot of time with them. He's learned from them since he was a teenager. So... You know, he's he's pretty much a pat, just as Apache as I am. <laughs> mm. That's kind of how I see him. So he does got some uh, stories and knowledge in there that was passed on to him, which is I think is very, that's very special. So, yeah. But, yeah, it was cool. We have a lot of these discussions, and hopefully we will uh, record more of them. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, we could bring in a guest and you know like i don't know just talk that'd be kind of cool yeah get a third person in here and just kind of bounce off our conversation and ideas and stuff our experiences yeah all All right right. well i think that's going to be all from us thank you guys so much for listening and um yeah bye all right bye